Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. We're a good morning, sunshine. By the way, what day is today? June 14th. Today's flag day. Flag day. Just let your flag fly, man. So I can let my flag fly. The adoption of the U.S. flag. Act of Congress proclaiming June 14th as National Flag Day. To make the stars and stripes the official flag of the United States of America. Now your flag's flying. Showtime. And this right here, it's your KC Show, baby! What's the word, Kansas City? A happy hump day, baby! To the KC boarded hoes, I don't know what note that was. On the show today, we take a little KCMS field trip. We head to Fort Scott's visiting the Gordon Parks Museum. Hanging out with Mr. Kirk Sharp at the Gordon Parks Museum. Passed away in 2006. Gordon Parks, I had an absolute blast. And I planned to just sit down and have a conversation with the man, but instead we got a full tour and he was okay with us recording the whole thing. It was incredible. He's got family members that are in these photos from the great Gordon Parks. Photographer, filmmaker, writer, director, songwriter. I mean, the man did it all. And he was from Fort Scott, Kansas. That's a stone's throw away. And his relationship with Fort Scott, also fascinating. And we're going to get into all that in just a matter of moments. Rate, review, subscribe, do that thing you do. Kansas City, back in your feeds tomorrow. It's a good day, a damn good day to be a Kansas City. Absolutely. We'll see you in the morning. Bye. If there's one thing that I found is as true as the sunrise, it's that I like being on there with hot sauce. The KC Morning Show. So I don't know if you know, Gordon Parks is an international photographer, filmmaker, writer, musician, poet. He's a renaissance man. He's born right here in Fort Scott, Kansas during 1912, um, during difficult time, during racism, poverty, discrimination. And so his parents, uh, Andrew Jackson and Mother Sarah Parks, and this is a baby picture of Gordon. Oh, wow. Now, when he was born, he's the youngest of 15 children. And when he was born, he was born dead. Two physicians at the same time went to the home to um, help deliver Gordon. The first physician basically said, there's nothing to do, sorry, um, he's still born. The second physician said, let me try some things, slap him in water, put him in cold water, slap him on the butt, and those type of things. And according to Gordon, he was quoted as saying he started yelling, he's been yelling ever since. <laughs> so if you look at the name, Gordon Roger Alexander Buchanan Parks, that's how he got the first name Gordon from that physician. And so this exhibit kind of highlights his early beginnings. He grew up here. Uh, Fort Scott to about age 15 or 16. His mother's dying wish was him to leave Fort Scott when he could because she was dying. And so she wanted him to escape as much racism, poverty, and discrimination as possible. And so he went to uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, live with his sister, Maggie Lee. Things didn't work out with the brother-in-law. Brother-in-law didn't want him and basically kicked him out on the streets. And so this is a photo of his first wife. 
How bad was the racism in Fort Scott back then? It was Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Uh, they just held on to those things. Gordon talks about that and highlights it in his Learn Tree book and also the film too as well. The movie theater. Blacks could go into the movie theater, but they had to live upstairs and called it the crow's nest. Or you can go to the drugstore, order food, but you had to eat it outside. And he illustrates that both in his film, The Learn Tree, and that book, The Fort Scott. Back to Fort Scott, I'll show you. Incredible. And so, 1937, he made his purchase, what he called his weapon of choice, to fight against the three things dislike in America, racism, poverty, discrimination. And that weapon of choice was a camera. Not a gun, not a knife, but it showed the impact and social justice of it. And he did it at a pawn shop. It's a vote langer brilliant. And the reason why he picked that camera, because he thought it sounded good. But he, um, he goes on to say it wasn't a very good camera at all, but that was his weapon of choice. He got a big break at Frank Murphy's clothing store where he had the opportunity to, to take some photos of uh, some models for fashion. And all the images that he took were double exposed, except for this one right here. He got the great opportunity to continue that too as well. And in 1942, he received a... Uh, Julius Rosenfeld Fellowship for Photography, and that's where he took this very famous, most recognizable photo, Ella Watson, American Gothic. So he had the eye, almost from like Chunk Street. He had the eye, but if you ask Gordon, it's the heart. Mm. Don't trust the eye, trust the heart. And he also took photos of the 332nd fighter pilot group, commonly known as the Tuskegee Airmen, or written nickname to Red Tails. Now, according to Gordon, his book, A Choice of Weapons, Senators from the South found out about his involvement taking photos, so they contacted the Pentagon and banned him from going overseas to taking photographs. Did he comment on any of that, being, you know, basically blacklisted from archives? Frustration, because he made lifelong friends. He went with them at the Selfridge Field when they did the training. Um, of course, you know, he knows the historical impact of that and the opportunities. Of course, yes, he was very distraught about that. And he mentions more about that in his book, A Choice of Weapons. And then also became the very first black photographer work for Vogue magazine. Is that when you think the big break was, you know, when he becomes more of a household name? Is it the Vogue stuff or is it the fashion stuff before? What do you think? Maybe? I think what helped him because he became the very first black photojournalist to work for Life magazine. And that's what took him all around the world to take some iconic photos today. You can see up there uh, with Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah. Um, he covered the segregation. And he became good friends with Langston Hughes and took some photographs of him in his early years. And so Life magazine, he had a break, and I'll show you it on another exhibit, Red Jackson story. And that created opportunity to go to Paris, France, to take some of the images. How he got that opportunity was because he had most experience that most life photographers at the time did not, and that was taking fashion photos. Gordon had that, working with Frank Murphy's clothing store and with Vogue magazine. Then he also became the very first black filmmaker to make a major motion picture movie in Hollywood called The Learning Tree, and it's filmed right here in Fort Scott, Kansas. In 1989, it's placed in the Library of Congress as a film classic registry as the top 25 important films. And if you look at it now, even though it's dated, time dated, in the late or mid-1920s, it's still talking about the same story resonating today in 2023. So it's a very great movie and powerful movie. Also, he directed Shaft. And that changed movie-making forever as it started a genre, the black exploitation films. Gordon didn't set out to do that. He just wanted to create a great film, and Shaft did that. That's the first time it starred a majority of black leading cast and also a black leading actor as a James Bond-type action-packed film. I was going to ask you about that. You talk about crafting black exploitation, that entire genre. It wasn't his focus. This focus would make a good film. Well, I know it wasn't his focus, but did he have anything to say on the era? He... Basically, he talked about he preferred films such as The Learning Tree or his other film, Lead Belly. Does it mean more meaningful? 
This is incredible. Just taking a look around the museum, we've got, you know, TV footage, you've got film footage. Yes, uh, highlights, uh, the films, trailer clips, and, and this exhibit continues with his timeline. This is his son, Gordon Parks Jr., on the film location here, filmed in Learning Tree. And he was also a cinematographer and also filmmaker too as well. He directed the iconic film Superfly. I was going to bring that up, actually. Yes. It's the great debate, you know, Shaft versus Superfly. Ooh, there you go. You know, I, I'm going to ask him, put you on the spot. You know, where do you fall on that? Are you I sh- fall on the thing. You can't mess with the Shaft thing. That was on my <laughs> ringtone for a long while. <laughs> but the Superfly soundtrack, Curtis Mayfield, Curtis is a must-have. So you combine those two, that's, that's impactful. And so Gordon, some of his notes to the learning tree. Key thing here is Gordon could not read or write music, mm-hmm. ever. He learned on his mother's upright piano by age six or seven years old to play by ear. They tried to teach him. He couldn't understand the concept of it. But he could go ahead and hum, and he'd write dash marks and numbers to represent keys on the keyboard. But he couldn't understand it. So he can hear it, but go to the keyboard and play it. So with that being said, this learning tree that he directed, he also wrote the soundtrack and composed the soundtrack to that. He performed two concertos by piano in the symphony, and he also directed the ballet called Martin in honor of Martin Luther King. He did it all. Yeah, he did it all. And he composed it and recorded a lot of music. Well, he didn't just do it all. He did it all at just, like, the highest of levels. Yeah, and this is him in 1988 receiving the National Medal of Arts from President Reagan. Then down here below, you see all these books, images. These are books that he's written. He's written over 20 books and directed over 20 films. But go back to his early years. He grew up here in Fort Scott. He never had opportunity to go to college. The teacher and the counselor at the time discouraged him and all other black students not to go to college. Feel like they're going to waste their parents' money. That end up being a railroad worker, porter, maid, or whatever in that area. In that case. He never got a chance to graduate high school in St. Paul because he took ill, and he never got a chance to attend college. But when he received his 30th honorary doctor's degree, he dedicated that to the teacher and counselor, told him don't go to college. When he received his 40th one from Princeton, he said he wished he was there right now, and he'd give her the award. He's received over 50 honorary doctor degrees to extinguish schools and universities and colleges. You can hear the Psalm of Northup's Odyssey in uh, 1984, the ballet, Martin, in 1990. And then he wrote a letter to us when we started the museum at the time. Basically couldn't think of a better place in his hometown to have something in culture and diversity with his name. I was going to ask you that question. How much involvement you know, did he have at the time, I think now, you know, with the estate? Yes, he, I mean, he was so moved. Now, it was a love-hate relationship Gordon always had with Fort Scott because Fort Scott didn't always love Gordon Park, especially in those early years. And so he hated the way he was treated. He hated the way the blacks were treated during those times. Thanks to a mayor at the time, Ken Lunt helped to bridge that gap and to reach out to Gordon. And when he came back in 2004, when we started a celebration, I'll show you over here, he was so moved that he decided to donate about 30 prints and a lot of his personal items to him. And so he also made a poem to Fort Scott that I'll show you here in a little bit and to the mayor too, basically saying, understand how things have been, but things have changed. And he ends it, paraphrases, let's not truck with the devil no more. So here's a photo of Gordon when he came in 2004. And when used his autobiography book, A Choice of Weapons, to create an award called The Choice of Weapons Award. So Gordon was the first one to receive it. We continued with that with Avery Brooks, and he starred in Gordon's film, Psalm 1 North's Odyssey. It's the same story 
that came out a few years ago as a film, 12 Years of a Slave. It's the same story. And Howard Bingham. Bill Curtis was here too as well. Elizabeth Eckford and Ernest Green, two of the students from the Little Rock Nine. First black students to go into the integration, integration school. Richard Roundtree starred Shaft mm-hmm. and a host of other films. Nichelle Nichols, she portrayed Lieutenant Uhura on the original Star Trek TV series. Her son, Kyle Johnson, he portrayed Gordon's character, Newt Winger, in the film The Learning Tree. Acclaimed actress, Ruby D. My great-grandmother, her favorite. She All right. Love Ruby yeah, she was here to receive the award. John Shear, photographer. Bobby Baker Burroughs, editor of Life magazine, also a good friend of Gordon. Kansas Center, Nancy Casabon has been here. Marilyn McCool and Bill Davis Jr., former members of the Fifth Dimension. Genevieve Young, who's the editor, also Gordon's third wife. KU professor and filmmaker Kevin Wilmot. Former KU Chancellor Bernard Gray Little. Roger E. Mosley, who starred in Gordon's film, Lead Belly. And also, you might remember him from the Magnum P.I., the original TV series, TC. Three of the cast members were celebrating 2019 with Carol Graham, Espro Sharp, Stephen Perry from the three of the cast members of The Learning Tree. And then in 2021, we celebrated with Kyle Johnson and Eli Reed, who is a photojournalist, photographer, cinematographer. He's worked on films such as Poetic Justice, Beautiful Minds, and Ghost of Mississippi, and a host of others. We don't have it up here, but... This past year, we had Patrick Cowens. He's a finance photographer and painter. Also worked with Gordon at Life Magazine. Gordon taught him the ropes. He also lived with Gordon. And he also the very first black still photographer in Hollywood. So he did films like On Golden Pond, Dirty Dance, and a host of others. William C. Roden, or Bill Roden, uh, as most folks might know him as. National award-running sports writer and author. And also wrote the book, The $40 Million Slaves. Mm-hmm. And so this year... We're celebrating our 20th year of existence. It's October 5th through the 7th, and the honorees are going to be Tommy Dotson. He's a musician, and he's also done some photography, and he's also authored some books. And he's the first Fort Scott native since Gordon to receive the honor. That's fantastic. And then we're going to have Mario E. Sprouse. He's a renowned composer and musician, and he worked for Gordon on 20-plus years on several of his films and helped compose and translate some of his music notes and uh to the soundtracks and then also Deborah Willis a renowned worldwide photographer curator artist so we'll have three of those great honorees here and we'll have everything from uh, we got a free photography contest going on now that's open for non-professional photographers and also for emerging poets we have a poetry contest too that's going on now we'll have several speaker presentations uh, such as Professor John Mason from the University of Virginia is going to talk about Gordon's connection and friendship with Muhammad Ali when he covered Muhammad Ali two times and then also we'll have a presentation from Ann Dean she's a photographer a freelance photographer in Lawrence and she's going to talk about the legacy of Gordon Parks we're going to have Professor Leroy Boyd talk about the Superfly mm. trilogy okay. there's just so much well, I got a long list to, to go over to show it to you we'll have Professor Michael Cheers to talk about our Back to Fort Scott project Professor Randall Jelks is going to talk about our Langston Hughes and Gordon Parks project a lot of people don't know about the connection between Langston Hughes. As you can see, Gordon took, uh, this is just one image of several portraits that he's taken and, and it's Gordon's early years of Langston Hughes. And they also collaborated together on a project when Langston Hughes was doing a lecture, I believe, uh, Shakespeare in Harlem, and Gordon did some images to go along with that. And so we're going to create an exhibit display and have those on loan to different schools and universities wow. and libraries across the state of Kansas too as well. So I got to ask you, because it is not a fair question. It's like asking which kid's the favorite. 
If you had to ask Gordon now, oh. and maybe people have asked him, but what do you think? Film, behind the camera, and the big screen, writing, you know, what do you think was what, his favorite? What, if he had to choose which one? Yeah. That's simple, because Gordon talked about that, and he's been asked that, and it's poetry. Because as quiet, as peaceful, he can express himself, and he thinks that poetry should be involved in all his work. Photography, filmmaking, but poetry, if he had to choose one. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? Very informal. When he came back in 2004, was inside the building here at the Liberty Theater. I was especially on the committee at the time, and I didn't feel like I needed to be part of anything, so I kind of stayed back in the crowd. And as he walked through, we both had eye contact. He said hello, and I said hello back, and that was it. My dad has a story. He got a chance back in, I think, the late 90s, 97, 98. He got a chance to pick him up from the airport. Uh-huh. And he signed his portfolio, my dad's photographer. And he looked at his work and he says, you know, this is Mr. Gray. This is actually pretty good yeah. stuff. What are you doing in Kansas City? And he's like, well, sorry, I got two boys to raise. And it was me and my twin. And uh, he just said he had this warmth about him, but also just this magnitude yes. about yes. him. Did you have that same kind of feeling? I had that same feeling. Once he pulled up in that drive in the street right before the, in front of the Liberty Theater, once he got out of the car, his eyes... Mm-hmm glowed to me like diamonds it's like i never seen that on anybody till to this day i never seen that that glow in his eyes the face expression when we made that contact i felt we communicated back and forth during that time so where does he rank on just all-time all-time americans not even just you know that's the goat he's the goat right yeah he's the goat i, I mean he just all the different lanes he was able to occupy yes and they were all, like we said earlier, just at that top tier. Not even top tier. It is his standard. Yeah. And his standard was excellent. You know, it's not uncommon for someone to excel as much as he did in one field, but he excelled in many fields. And that's very uncommon. And so that's what makes him the Renaissance man, uh, his creativity to self-teach himself how to do photography. He never had official training or official schooling for that or filmmaking or writing and playing music. It's all self-taught. And his story is so incredible and so impactful because it shows how perseverance is important, that how you can overcome barriers. When I used to get frustrated about things, I kind of think back and said, look at the barriers and the walls that Gordon had to pioneer to overcome. Just think about the resources that's available today. If you got some of that same drive as Gordon, we just had a visitor not too long ago talked about, wow, if Gordon Parks was alive or with all this technology, all these resources, what he could do. And basically, he could just run with it. I mean, it's incredible. He did it well during those times. So just imagine someone. That's what we try to talk to the younger generation about is to show the, the drive that Gordon has. And it's important to have that drive to keep moving forward. I just got a couple couple more before you. The history with Fort Scott, you know, was a complicated time, as you said. Now, 2023, look at where we are, this museum, it's incredible. You know, how has the city shifted? How has you know, the tension that Gordon Parks felt, you know, that he eventually was able to bring at least a little bit of peace to himself? Yes. You know, how has that forgiveness from Gordon helped transform the city you know just the attendance in the museum that's also validation yes that this the thing is working the schools the, the children we want to help tell gordon's story to keep his legacy alive we want to help teach others about artistic creativity cultural awareness and diversity that's in all of our lives and we want to keep gordon park's legacy and life story alive during that time when gordon came up it was a difficult time but change came through now is everything perfect still no there's still racism 
here. There's still racism everywhere, fortunately. But if you ask around, look around, Fort Scott has been way more welcome and accepting and very proud of Fort Scott native Gordon Parks. Last question. Quintessential Gordon Parks. We got folks listening in the car right now saying, okay, I got to pull over and Google or I got to head by the library or go to the store and get some some movies or some something. They need the Gordon Parks The Learning Tree, the Shaft, the Lead Belly, Psalm North's Odyssey. Just Google up Gordon Parks. Check out his photos. Check out everything he has done. Check out his creativity. Thank you so much. This is incredible. The Gordon Parks Museum in Fort Scott. Troubles is food. Lord, who jumbles your cheeks till your eyelids crinkle and cut your pulse to zero nine? Who freaks you out till you're downright simple? Shut. Baby, you'll blow your mind. Yeah.